look at four marks of humility, and we need to care about, because for Cornerstone to do what we got to do out there, we've got to have humility. And, and for us to, to enjoy that blessed life that God has for us, there has to be humility. Everybody listen, because it, it's going to get quiet in here uh, this morning, because, because humility is, 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 parts of humility is something that is really missing in the local church today. And it's sad, because that's the number one quality that all born-again believers should have, is humility. And so this morning, I want us to look at humility, and Luke chapter 17, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10, and we have four points, four marks, four marks of humility, and, and we, we, we'll hopefully we'll get, we'll, we'll get through the first one this morning, but I doubt we'll get but maybe a little bit into the second one, and then we'll save the rest of them for next week for Father's Day, okay? We'll really put it on you dads next, next week, okay? But uh, I want us to look at four marks of humility. Now, let me put this into context. At this time in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, along with his disciples, this crowd of people that's following him from place to place to place to place. And as he's moving, that crowd's growing. And so they're following him, and Jesus is teaching uh, these disciples. He's teaching his apostles. And, of course, within that group of people, there are Pharisees. I'm just putting into context for because knowing that there's Pharisees and scribes there is important because we're going to see here that Jesus is making points and counterpoints, and we'll explain that here in just a minute. But but so he's traveling. There's these group of people, and with those group of people are these Pharisees, which is a sect of Jewish believers. They're very they're very legalistic. They're self righteous. And they're just the opposite of humility, which is prideful. They were prideful people. I know you've heard, sermon, you've heard sermons on this hundreds of times about pride and about Pharisees. And so we're not preaching on pride, but I just want to make, remind you that these Pharisees were known to be very, very prideful, self-righteous people. Now, look, they were very proud of their religious achievement and their attainment. I mean, they just walked around with their chest bumped out, and they were just proud that and of themselves that they've reached this 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 spiritual attainment they love to take the high places in the synagogue they love to be at the main table at the banquets they love to be called names of dignity and honor they love to be seen as exalting themselves above the people and everything they did whether it was their praying or their fasting, their giving or any kind of behavior even the way they moved around it all manifested this self-exaltation and pride. So these people were in the crowd. And so there's this point and counterpoint. So Jesus is teaching the disciples. And again, the Pharisees are ever-present. And they're always looking for something for which they could trap Jesus and find reason to execute him. Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's speaking to the Pharisees. And so, again, there's that point and there's that counterpoint. Teaching the disciples, and he's calling out the Pharisees. Have you ever done that? I've heard some of you pray sometimes, and you're praying, and you're, you're calling people out while you're still praying. And that's called point and counterpoint, you see. So, the one hand, Jesus calls those who have come to faith in him to a life that is the opposite of what the Pharisees demonstrated. That's that counterpoint. And if their life could be summed up as the manifestation of pride, here it is. Everybody listen close. 
then what he calls for us is the opposite, which is humility. Humility. The defining character of the disciples is humility. And the 17th chapter opens, and humility really here is the reason, is, is the theme throughout these first 10 verses. Now, that word never appears here in any form, but it really is the theme because what Jesus says to his converts and disciples in verse 1 and verse 5 and following defines the essence of humility. All right, look with me at Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And I want you to write these points down, okay? Because this is these, these are the marks of true humility. Everybody, this needs to be in each one of our lives. This should be something that, that it's, it, look, this is not a gift. This is something that has to be disciplined in your life. This is something that you have to know that is real and that is tangible and that God wants from you, and you have to discipline yourself every single day. And if you're like me, maybe every single hour, but it takes discipline to have humility. It's, it's not going to come natural. You know why it's not going to come natural? Because we live in a fallen world, because we're born into sin, because Ron Fox and you, we all have that old nature still hanging on, don't we? And so the Bible says that we have to push down the old man and be filled with the Holy Spirit so the new man can come out. And that's having humility. That's, that's what's going to bring forth humility. Look at it. So we got it in the context. We know what's going on. And so he says to his disciples in verse 1, it is inevitable. In other words, it's going to happen. It does not matter... If, but it's going, it's inevitable. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But look at it. And look, and I want you to l- listen to the, the, the language that this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, and remember, there's Pharisees standing around. He's teaching the disciples. He's making that counterpoint. He's calling them out. He says, but woe to him through whom they come. Through what comes? Um, stumbling blocks it would be better for that person if a millstone, a thousand-pound rock, were hung around their necks and they were thrown in the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Boy, that's some hard language, isn't it? We're going to break that down here in just a minute. But point number one is the first mark of, of humility is, is that we are to restrain from offending others. Write that down. We are to restrain from offending others. Look at verse 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, confront him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he, and if he sins against you seven times a day, and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, Jesus says, forgive him. So point number two in humility is we have to be eager and ready to forgive. Eager and ready to forgive. Now, let's look at verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would, have, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So number three in humility is that we have to know our weakness. Know our weakness. Hey, listen, we're not going to get into it today, but we got to know what our weaknesses are. And we have to understand those weaknesses, and then we got to come to faith in God, and we have to do something about those weaknesses. You know, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, that's just how I am. Well, hooty hoop hoo 
That's no, you know, that's, that's the old you. But listen to me, you got to get rid of that stuff. And you have, to have, you have to have humility, and part of humility is knowing your weakness and going to God because God says, look, you can take this mulberry tree and say remove it and put it into the sea and it'll be done because faith goes a long way. So we've got to know our weakness. Oftentimes we, 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 we know our weakness, but we don't do anything about it, and that's not humility. And then look at, look at the last one here. The last point is we're to reject honor. Humility is, is rejecting honor. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But it says in verse 7, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? Uh, Afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded. So does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. So humility, number four, is reject honor. Well, let's, let's look together at point number one. And point number one is restrain from offending others. Humility is restraining ourselves from offending others. He said to his disciples, Look at it again in verse 1. He said, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a thousand-pound rock, a millstone, were hung around his neck and they were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. So a couple of questions into those verses. Remember, the Pharisees are there. So a couple of questions is, who are little ones? Who are little ones? Number two, a millstone. What is a millstone and, and why a millstone and, and why drowning? I mean, there, why all of this? So first of all, the little ones. Who are these little ones? Who are these little ones? Go back to Matthew chapter 18 and go ahead and just find that in your Bible because Matthew chapter 18 gives us a, a little bit more explanation um, than what Luke does. But who are these little ones? Well, Matthew, again, chapter 18 is that parallel instruction from Jesus to his disciples. And there he says, these little ones who believe in me. All right, look at me. So these little ones are not children. They are not infants. They are believers. They are the believers. They're us. They're the believers. They're the ones who's following Jesus for the right reasons from place to place, who believes that he is the Messiah and that, and that, and that through him there can be everlasting life. So these little ones are believers. Again, he's not talking about children. He's talking about believers. And they were all spiritually young. Now, you're in Matthew, so I want you to look at Matthew with me, chapter 18, verse 6. And it says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better. Now, that means it's to his advantage. Now, listen to this strong language. And we're talking about offending others, okay? That we're to restrain from offending others because he's saying, look at what he says. He says, it's to, it's to their advantage. If you set the trap for someone to stumble, look what he says. It's better for him or her 
that a heavy millstone be hung around his or her neck, and that he or she be drowned into the depth of the sea. He says, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man or to the woman through whom the stumbling block comes. Well, let's take a look at that a little bit in detail. First of all, it is inevitable, meaning it is this way, meaning it has to be this way. It can't be any other way. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. Now, listen, Cornerstone, we live in a fallen world, don't we? This world is fallen, and we live in a corrupt world. We live in an imperfect world, and there are going to be stumbling blocks. No doubt about it. Remember, you know, there's going to be. Now, the word stumbling, if you remember from a couple, about a year ago, uh, it comes from that Greek word scandalon. Remember I brought that trapper's trap up here, that trap? That's what that's talking about. It's, it's where we get our word scandal or the word offense. It's a trap. And we know that we live in a world of traps, and we know we live in a world where people are going to be offended. God's little ones, God's children, his believers are going to be offended. You're going to be offended. You might even be offended today at some point or tomorrow or sometime this week, but there's traps that are set for you, and those traps may be willingly set for you or it may be by accident, but there's going to be traps out there, okay? And so, so there's this scandalous temptation laid out there to directly or indirectly drive us towards sin, drive us towards ourselves, drive us towards that old man that we're to be putting to death. But it says that it is, it is inevitable that they come. But look at verse 1, and here we go. Now, I want you to look at this strong language. And, and guys, if, if you're the one offending, I want you to look at this. And whether it's directly or indirectly, your idle words, I don't care. This verse of Scripture is written for you, that we're to restrain ourselves from offending people that we take some humility. Jesus is teaching these, these disciples about humility, and, and he's telling all of his disciples, the Pharisees are there, and, and so he's making that counterpoint because he's calling them out, you see, because this is what they do. But he says to him here, he says, he says, woe to him through whom they come. Now, that doesn't change responsibility. That doesn't change the, 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 the guilt of it. The one who sets the offense in motion is guilty before God, guilty before God. No matter what your reason is, no matter it's supposed to be here or not, no matter, it doesn't matter that there's going to be, it doesn't, that word inevitable doesn't matter, but he says it doesn't, it's, 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 it's the guilt to stare there, the responsibility of the one whom sets that trap the one whom offends another person is responsible. And it says this, look at it. It would be better for that person, that one who offends, whether he or she is in the world or in the church, whether he or she is a believer or a non-believer, it would be better, look at it, for that person if a millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown in the sea, then that they should cause one of these young spiritual believers to stumble. 
here it is. It is better to stop him now by execution, is what Jesus is saying. It is better to stop that person right now by execution than to let that person keep doing this because if he or she is a non-believer, they're going to incur, incur you know, damnation. If that person is a believer, he is only inviting greater chastising and forfeit of eternal rewards. But he says, better that he be dead Better that he be die a horrific death now than to continue to offend and therefore accumulate ongoing damnation and offending God's little ones. Now he's talking about here, he's talking about the kind of example that's being set by the Pharisees. Follow me. They are the primary offenders here because the Pharisees were spreading lies about Jesus every opportunity that they got. They said Jesus isn't the Messiah. They, they, said, they said that he's not the expected one. They said that Jesus, in fact, does what he does by the power of Satan. They said that then they would cause people to stumble by their hypocrisy. They treated people with disdain and contempt who were beneath them. They had hatred in them. They set examples of sinfulness and, and failed to set patterns of righteousness and patterns of holiness. They were putting hindrances in front of people, making people stumble over Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, what examples? Are you setting? Are you perhaps setting traps by your actions or your lack of actions, your idle words? Are you guilty of leading others away? I will say to the one who is offended, point number two, be eager to forgive. Don't let these traps that are inevitable out in the world, take you away from serving God. Number one, be eager to forgive. If someone offends you, be eager, be eager, be ready to forgive. But to the one that's doing the offending, Jesus said, it's better for you to die of execution right now than to keep on offending those for two reasons. Number one, you're bringing chastisement upon yourself. And that chastisement that comes upon yourself is going to affect those around you. And then, and then you're forfeiting eternal rewards. It's better for you to die now. That's number one. Number two is, 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 because, is because God doesn't want his little ones hurt. He doesn't want these guys hurt. He doesn't want those people hurt. He doesn't want those people hurt. And it's better that you die of an execution. Well, that's pretty, pretty hard, isn't it? You know, um, as a pastor, as a pastor, um, as a pastor, I believe um, one of the greatest exhausting things that pastors deal with is this very subject. You know. Um, this week, um, we had a great week at Vacation Bible School, didn't we? Give the Lord a hand. Would you do that? I mean, it's a great week. It, you know, everyone did such an amazing job. You know, the music with Joanne and Michael and Jessica putting the whole thing together, and Kim with her eye to detail and the and the sets and 
and and our and our music team and all of our workers. I mean, it was just it was just it was just a great team effort. And you know, we averaged. I think we ended up the week with sixty something kids, which is good for us. And we got to, to to meet a lot of families, and that's exactly what VBS is. A, it's an outreach opportunity, and it was it was it was it was great. But you know, um, um, there was a there was some offending that uh, that come across my desk. Maybe idle words were said, or something was said, and 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 so let me go back to my point that you know, one of the most exhausting things as a pastor is having to deal with this over and 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 over again. Because people cannot restrain themselves from the possibility of offending one of God's little ones. Because you see, pride kicks in. And we do things and say things, and we get our feelings hurt. We wear our feelings on our sleeve, and then we say something, and someone gets offended. And it's not right on any direction, but there needs to be some humility in the local church. There needs to be some humility in the local church. There needs to be that understanding, that discipline, that, you know what, in the name of Jesus Christ, it's all for his glory and not for my glory at all, and I am going to not offend any of God's little ones. Amen? But be eager to forgive. Be ready to forgive. Now, look at it with me here. Everywhere Jesus would go, these Pharisees would show up. I told you that they were in every crowd. They were spreading their lies through the crowd. And they weren't just causing people who believed in him or or were desiring of believing in him to fall into this pattern of sin just like them, but they were causing them to reject the truth concerning Jesus Christ. Now, this language is strong, and, and this word millstone here, now, a, a, a millstone is this huge, massive rock, and, you know, it weighed thousands of pounds, okay? And, and, and then there was a, be another rock that went on top that a horse or a mule or an ox or something would spin and it would, you know, it would, it would do the grinding. You see how big the rock is? I mean, I mean, you know, you strap 2,000 pounds on anybody and throw them in the sea. I mean, they're going to go straight to the bottom, and there's no way of getting out of it. There's no way to come back to the top. I mean, you got, you got a couple of, you got a ton strapped to you. You're going down, and you're not coming back up. But the Jews hated the idea of drowning. And I think that's why Jesus used this execution, if you will, because Jews hated the idea of drowning. They didn't do that. The Romans did that. In fact, the rabbis taught that drowning was for Gentiles, not for Jews at all. And so Jesus says, you'd be better off drowned now on the spot instantly than to keep doing what you're doing uh, that is to hinder the faith of a believer, to hinder the understanding of a believer, to hinder the life of a believer in spiritual progress. He's saying, saying that's, that's, that's horrendous and that's an enormous crime. And to mar his grasp of the truths, to blight his knowledge of God in Christ, in the spirit, in the scripture, 
to damage his, that person's growth to Christ's likeness by lies or sins is so bad that you are better off being dead. Humble people. Humble people consider others first. They consider others first out of love and unselfish goodwill. Isn't that what Jesus exemplified for us? A, a humble person pursues the truth with a passion so that they might truly represent the Word of God. They do not put an obstacle or a hindrance in someone's way. They live a godly life. They set a pattern of righteousness. They restrain even their liberty in Christ. You know, we have liberties in Christ. We can do certain things. But humility says, humbleness says, because I don't want to offend the little ones, I'm going to take the higher road here. I'm not going to say what I think that, that, I, that I could say. I'm not going to do what my liberty in Christ affords me to do. But because there are these young believers, there are these believers, there are these God's children, I'm going to refrain even from the liberty that I have in Jesus Christ. That's the humility part. And part of that is restraining ourselves from setting traps for other people. Because what follows that is sin. We, we set the trap. We, we, we don't restrain ourselves. And what happens is, is that person falls into it and they go into sin, you see. But a humble person, they don't abuse their liberty which can cause others to stumble as Romans 14 lays it out for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we don't offend. We don't live our lives in an offensive way. We seek to set a godly example and always speak that which is absolutely true with grace so that we may aid the spiritual growth of others and we don't hinder it. Everybody say amen. Point number two, and we're just going to just get into the very, very beginning of it. Point number two. Hum, humility, in which what God would have all of his church to be is humble. Number two is, 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 is humble people are ready, they are eager to forgive. Everybody say amen. Okay, we're going to look at this because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you something here that I think is going is to just like be an all thing for you, and I hope it is because, because it is an all thing. Now, we don't want to cause people to sin. Everybody say amen. But when people do sin, we are also eager to forgive. Look at verse 3. Okay. For this first three words, first four words, be on your guard. Okay, everybody pay attention. Be on your guard. Be alert. Be able to see 360 degrees. Be on guard. Be on guard. Be alert. Because why? Because, because it's inevitable that stumbling blocks are going to come. It's inevitable that someone's going to set those. It might, you know, it, it, it could be anybody. I, you know, it, you know, I've told you before that, you know, it, when my family gets together, it's, it's, it, we call it a good time when we don't have to call 911. You know, <laughs> because sometimes even families can be good at setting traps for each other. But but look, we're a church family, and 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 it's inevitable that 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 some, it's going to come. And so and so he's saying, be on guard, 
they're going to come. Be alert, 360 degrees. Don't get in the flesh. Die to yourself. Be, be, be full of the Holy Spirit, a continually filling of the Holy Spirit. Be in God's Word. Be in prayer, 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 right? Right, right, right. Be on guard. And then notice what it says next. And so when those things do come, when those things do come, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, see the conditional on forgiveness there for the restoration and reconciliation? For that, for that reconciliation part, for that restoration part, there's a condition there. What is it? It's repentance. Right? Right? Repent means you don't do it anymore. Repent means that you turn away from that act and you go a different way. You go to righteousness and holiness and you don't do it in a period of time, then you'll have that reconciliation because trust will be had, and so there can be reconciliation to that relationship. But look at it. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if his sins against you, and if he sins against you seven times, uh, uh, the other uh, Matthew says 70 times seven, so that just, you know, that, that just means, you know, as many times as that person does, if he comes to you, you forgive him, he repents, you forgive him, okay? And he says, seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, Jesus said, punch him in the face. Give him the cold shoulder. No, forgive him. God, I love that. Now, the first part of the verse would indicate that we, and here's where we're going to stop at. The first part of the verse indicates that we have a hatred for sin. We should hate sin. We don't want to teach anything that is contrary to the Word of God. We don't hate the sinner. We hate sin. We hate sin. We want to teach the truth and live holy lives, and so we should take strong position against sin. Everybody, we should take this first part on, we should take strong position against sin. You know, I would have to say that that this discipline, if you will, of, of, of hating sin has eroded over the last 30 years. Ladies and gentlemen, that's awful. That's awful. As Christians, we should have a disdain of sin. We should hate sin, not hate the sinner, but we should hate sin. And I think over the last 30 years or whatever it is, we've become so tolerant of so many different things that we just live with it. It's become part of our life. And so that's why you have all this humba-jumba in this mess that we're in in the local churches is because we've given too much tolerance to sin and we don't hate sin anymore. And, and look, all of us should, all of us, we should hate sin. And, and when we see sin, it should just drive us to the point that we just say, oh my goodness, that's just awful. God, help me to help do something about it. You pray for him, you do something. And, and so that when sin comes knocking on your door, you don't just open up and let it come in, but you have a disdain against it and a hatred because sin's only going to drive you farther from God or drive someone else farther from God. And so you have this, you have this disdain, this hatred of sin sin because you know what it can do, and, and not the tolerance of it anymore. So we've got to hate sin. 
And, 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 but when sin does come, you got to forgive. Amen? Now, let me give you this. Not every time that someone sins against you, does that person, do, do you have to rebuke that person and then they repent and you forgive? You know why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Next week, we'll talk about what sins should be rebuked and what sins that is talking about. Those are talking about those destructive sins, those sins of patterns, those sins that cause disharmony in the body of Christ, those sins that are open. But not every time a sin is committed do we have to go to somebody and say, you sinner, you did this to me. Repent, because love covers a multitude of sins. My wife and I will be married for 30 years um, here soon. And, um, you know, if, if she had to forgive me um, um, for every one of my sins for our marriage, we would be doing nothing but forgiving each other. Do you hear me? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can get seven in, pretty, in one day pretty, 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 pretty good. What about y'all? Huh? Yeah, I can get seven seven sins pretty good in one day, but 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 because she loves me, she doesn't have to rebuke me. Because love covers a multitude of sins. But if my sin is destructive, if my sin is open, if my sin is bringing disharmony, then my wife's going to rebuke me. And if I'm feeling froggy enough, I'll rebuke her. I'm just kidding around. <laughs> But sin covers a multitude, or love covers a multitude of sins. Not every sin that's committed has to be rebuked. Okay? We'll talk about that more next week. And then we'll get into our weakness and knowing our weaknesses. And we'll talk about this, this, this other point of, of, of rejecting honor. Rejecting honor. All right? Humility, cornerstone. We need humility. And so today... Number one is, is um, let's not set those traps. Let's refrain. Let's refrain, please, from offending others. Restrain from offending others, because if you do, it's better off that you're dead than rather to hurt one of God's little ones. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. Watch your act- actions and your lack of. That's called humility and then be eager and ready to forgive, all right? Father, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, it's just a horrible way to live if we have to go around always bitter and always mad because these traps that are set and that you say that they're inevitable. They're going to be. There's no way around it. And so, Lord, we're to be eager to forgive. And not every time something is done, that we have to have resolution to it because our love will cover a multitude of sins. And the love that you give to us covers that multitude of sins. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us will discipline ourselves to be people that refrain from offending others. Lord, I pray that we'll just take off the blinders and just look and see as, as, as the church of what may be able to offend others, Lord, that will refrain from it, that will, that will hold back that liberty even that we have in Jesus Christ. 
we give you glory and honor and praise. And Lord, I pray if there's one here this morning that's never accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, that this, this doesn't have a head knowledge, but Lord, that, that they've done it in their hearts with everything that they have, that their life has changed and that there's been fruit. Lord, I pray for anyone here that's never accepted Jesus as their Savior, that they'll come this morning, and Lord, that they'll start that new life with you. We give you praise and honor and glory, Lord. Amen. Stand with me, please. Thank you. Come up.